0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm trying to do things different. Just, it just feels weird. Hopefully, we get this all. If uh, you were with us last week, you remember we started. We're starting a new uh, series. Uh, we're looking at our spiritual health. Um, you know, a lot of times at the beginning of the year, we, we focus on our physical health. We want to get in shape. We want to feel better. Uh, but our spiritual health is just as important as our physical health. Uh, last year, we, or last week, we started out by looking at our heart. Remember that? And we said if our heart stops in the physical world, uh, we die. And it's very similar in the, in, with our spiritual uh, heart as well. And so we need to take care of our heart. Uh, We need to minister to it. We need to strengthen it. And and we talked about that there were three tests for a healthy heart. Um, The first test is the question of who is our first love? Is is Jesus still our first love? Uh, Are we we focusing on him first and foremost or other things uh, distracting us away from Jesus? Uh, The second test uh, was what I called the one another's. Uh, Throughout the entirety of scripture, there are all these uh, verses that, say we should do things to one another love one another take care of one another bear one another's burdens etc etc there's there's a lot of them how are we doing on those are we actually doing the one another's are we are are we uh, loving other people as well as loving jesus and then finally uh, we talked about the health of our relationships are we forgiving one another are we leading Uh, with forgiveness. And we talked about how unforgiveness is like heart disease. It can fester, and it could kill us. It could kill our heart. It could kill our walk. Today, uh, we're going to kind of move to the next area that we need to check of our bodies, and that's our minds. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 to open up. Uh, Let me pray with you. Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence here with us today uh, as we dig into your Word, uh, Lord. We we just ask for you to come, Lord. Come today, and bring transformation to our lives. Lord, challenge us today, grow us today, transform us. Today. We welcome you. Just pray all this. Paul writes in Philippians 4, starting in verse 8, he says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, Growing up, I was a computer geek. That's what I did in high school. Uh, If you ever saw War Games and you saw that picture of Matthew Broderick in high school with the the zipper sweat jacket, uh, looking kind of disheveled, looking kind of geeky, locked in a room with a computer, that was me. Okay, That was me, 100%. I had a handful of friends, and that's all we did, is we messed with computers. This is back in the old days when computers were much different than today. I joke with uh, with my kids. Um, you know, my my new iPhone I think has something like 128 gigabytes of memory. Uh, back in the day, my first computer had four kilobytes of memory. Um, that's that's like moving from a, uh, a a lake of water to maybe like a shot glass of water. I mean, that's the difference. Um, and, and one of the things we did is we all learned how to program. You know, we wanted to know how to make our computers do things because back then you didn't have a whole lot of stuff that you can buy. Computers were still fairly new, so we learned uh, programming languages. We learned basic, we learned machine code, we learned assembler, and, and we we created our own programs. And there was a phase, there was a, a term that was real popular back then, um, GIGO. You garbage in, garbage out. And, and what it meant was that if your code, if your computer code was sloppy, if it was poorly constructed, if it wasn't clean, then the output from that program would be sloppy, poorly constructed, constructed and unclean. If your programming was garbage, then the program would be garbage. Whatever you put in it is what you got out of it. And, and that was very common. You'd write a program, if there was an error in it, it would loop the thing up, it would crash the whole system. And that's still true today. I I don't know if you know much about program development, but it is an incredibly long, stretched out period of time. They have the initial program, they have the alpha version of it, they have the beta version of it, and they finally roll the thing out. And Some of you who are early adapters, you get the beta version of certain programs. I know my son Benjamin used to get the beta version of uh, Apple OS for his phone. And so he had all the cool things, but the problem was maybe a quarter of them actually didn't work because the code wasn't quite there yet. It was being tested and fixed. The code doesn't work. If there's something wrong, what goes in it, it's going to be garbage on what comes out of it. And and what's interesting is that concept has gone far beyond the the world of computer programming. Uh, Many years ago, it was on, on Sarah's birthday, um, I was down in my basement. I was feeding the cat, and I noticed this little trickle of water running through my basement. I thought, what the hell was that? And so I followed the trickle back, and it was coming from where the water main came in the house. There was a little valve, and there was a little trickle of water coming down the side of that valve. I thought, that doesn't look right. So I went to turn the valve off, and when I touched the valve, the valve cracked into and ruptured, and I had a geyser pouring into my basement on the wrong side of broken valve. Couldn't turn it off. It was on the street side, uh, actually wrong side of the meter as well. And and as water's pouring into our basement, there's absolutely nothing we can do. It's like 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm calling the town. I'm like, can you turn the water off to my house somewhere? I ended up calling a friend of mine who was a plumber uh, after the, the town got the water turned off. He came over to help me fix it. And he lives in our neighborhood, and he goes, yeah. He goes, you know, when I built our house in this neighborhood, I changed all the property because they used garbage. All the valves in this house are garbage. He goes, you know, let me replace, you know, the valve on both sides of the meter and we'll get you set up. because, you know, not surprising. As we do, as we use inferior and cheap things, we, we tend to have problems with that. And, and there's a lesson in all of this. And the lesson is simple. What we put into our minds has a direct effect on our lives. You know, Paul is saying, what we put into our mind affects what comes out of us. Affects our thoughts. Affects our life. He's trying to tell them that uh, here in Philippians. He's telling them uh, to think of good things. And the fruit of that will be God's peace coming upon their life as they consider what is righteous, what is good, what is holy, what is upright. The fruit of those thoughts in their lives will be God's peace. But the reverse of that is also true. If we put into our heads things that aren't good, what is not praiseworthy, what is garbage, then the result of that will be lack of peace. My wife is incredibly sensitive Uh, at night when we watch TV, we gotta be careful about what the last TV show that we watch is. Now, I really enjoy those, you know, suspense, uh, thriller kind of shows, the really intense stuff. But if we watch like an incredibly intense, you know, thriller, murder mystery kind of show, it will affect her at night. She will not be able to sleep. She, her mind will be racing, her dreams will be crazy, all because of that show that. What went into her head is what's affecting her thought pattern and is not bringing her peace at night to sleep, but instead is causing her stress, disrupting her. I think the truth that is true for many of us. Uh, You know, whoever watched a movie or saw something that was unsettling and it just kind of sits with you for a while, makes you uncomfortable, upsets your sleep pattern, upsets your day. Years ago, I was so engulfed on Twitter that I discovered that Twitter was affecting my uh, personality. Because you know, Twitter is exactly what what uh, Paul wrote. It's all things that are praiseworthy and good and upright. No, Twitter's where people go just to vent, moan, and complain. And I was discovering that my personality, my mood, my everything within me was was changing because I was spending too much time on Twitter. And I literally had to turn it off. I get my back. Now, it would be so easy just to sit back and figure out what all the junk is, right? Let's just avoid the junk in our lives. Let's avoid all the things that are uncomfortable, that, that, that are distasteful. Let's just avoid it all. But the reality is that kind of makes a miserable life, doesn't it? You're sheltering your things, yourself, from everything. What's interesting is Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't avoid all bad things. What's interesting, Jesus actually engaged with, with some bad people, or at least what his society would have claimed. One of the criticisms in Matthew 11 of Jesus is that he was a drunk and a glutton. That's what they called him. I mean, you don't get that accidentally. No. There's a reason. You're in places. So, so Jesus isn't calling us to, to like shelter ourselves from everything. I don't think Paul is doing that either. Avoidance creates a vacuum in our lives. And when there's a vacuum in our life, something is going to fill it. Something is So the question is, what should be filling it? What should be filling our lives? Well, the foundation for our minds begins with the word of God. Psalm 119, the largest psalm, largest chapter in the Bible. Verse 97 says this, Oh, how I love your law. I meditated on it all day long. Your commands are always with me, and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I may obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. So when, when the psalmist here is saying laws and commandments and precepts, What he's talking about here is not just like the the book of Leviticus. He's talking about the entirety of the Bible. He's painting this picture is that as as he reads, as he studies, as he thinks about and contemplates Scripture, it begins to transform his life. It begins to transform the way he thinks. It begins to transform his understanding. What what the psalmist is presenting here is a diet of scripture. Not just like a little verse here or there, uh, but meditation. Just thinking about it, contemplating it, saturating himself in it. And the fruit of that, when we do it in our lives, uh, the psalmist says, is three things. In verse 98, he says, first of all, it's wisdom. More wisdom than his enemies. And the ability to deal with troubles and temptations and attacks. And our life is filled with with troubles and temptations and what appears to be attacks. And sometimes we're confused. How do we deal with this? How do we walk through this? How do we survive this? And the psalmist is telling us, as we contemplate and, and saturate ourselves in Scripture, the Lord gives us the understanding. The Lord gives us Second, it is understanding. Verse 99 and 100. As we deal with Scripture, the psalmist is telling us, as as we let it saturate our lives, it gives us the ability to deal with complex issues and problems. It gives us that ability to deal with it greater than those around us. Those around him. Finally, the psalmist says that it gives us righteousness in verse 101 through 104. Ability to live a life Pleasing to God. Not because of what the psalmist is doing, but because of what the Lord is putting in, how he's transforming. Paul echoes this a bit in Second Timothy verse three. Paul says this, I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter three. Uh, verse 16. Paul says this All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good. Wisdom and understanding lead to an upright life. We become fully equipped by God for whatever it is He's called us to Now, don't read that as just ministry. We become fully equipped for whatever it is he's called us to. Be it in the marketplace, be it in school, be it in church, be it anywhere. We are fully equipped. Scripture provides that kind of foundation for us. And when that happens in our life, that peace that Paul was describing, it begins to come upon us. We begin to walk in that. So as there's stuff going around us, as there's trouble, as there's anxiety, as there's problems, as there's issues... We're able to navigate through those things because our understanding comes from the Word and the Lord's peace is upon us and we know that He can guide us through that. Our trust is in Him. But the reality is that if we're like most Christians today, we're not getting a good diet of Scripture in our lives. I mean, what what does your, your Scripture diet look like? Is it it just a verse now and then? Is it a devotional? Is it an email, a verse of the day that you get? Is it just what I talk about on Sunday morning? See, it needs to be more than that. With the bombardment of everything around us, between the internet and social media and regular media, it's it's not enough just to have a little bit of Scripture here and there. Instead, we need a tremendous amount of, to build a healthy foundation in our lives. We should be reading large amounts of Scripture in context to themselves. And what I mean by that is instead of just pulling a verse here and there, we should be reading all the verses around it. It's so easy to pull something out of context of Scripture to make it say what you want it to. There's a great example in 1 Corinthians, Paul, who has a wicked sense of humor and, and um, is looking at the Corinthians, and the Corinthians are walking around saying, because we have Jesus, because we have the Spirit, we can do anything we want. And he says something back to them. I can sin so that grace about make that your life sin more so that grace abounds more Pauls telling you I should go out and sin let's go sin come on guys we can make the Super Bowl party interesting but in the context of it he's ridiculing them he's like are you minimizing Jesus' sacrifice on the cross cheap grace if you pull that out of context just pull that first Theologies, whole denominations are based on one scripture verse. Down south, they have this plexiglass pulpit. really cool. Inside of it, there's snakes. The test to decide if you're really a follower of Jesus, if you're really saved, is because there's a little verse at the end of Luke that says that if you get bitten by a serpent, you will not die. So that's the test. So every Sunday you come up and you handle the snake, and if it bites you and you die, then I guess you weren't saved. Now we hear that and we go, are you nuts? If you read that in context, there's a lot more to that verse than that. It's so easy to take one little piece of are so out of context. It is so far out of context. So the way around it is you read lots of scripture within their context to have a grand picture of what God's doing. One of the suggestions that I continually tell people is just go get a one year Bible. I mean, it's really simple. Get a one year Bible or a one year Bible plan. You're going to find that you read about six chapters a day to get through the Bible. If you do that every day, you begin to see scripture in a completely different light. Because you see how it interacts with itself. You see why certain things are where they are. You begin to understand things a little differently. You begin to saturate your life. And as you saturate your life with that scripture, it begins to transform you. You begin living like the psalmist. Now, the Word of God is our foundation, but on that foundation, we should be building something. In the neighborhood I grew up, I remember there was a part of the neighborhood where I think the builder went bankrupt, and all there were were these holes in the ground. Heck, if you go back to where when we used to be in the school, There was in parts of the neighborhood where all there were. There. Now, a firm foundation is incredibly important. You want your house built on a solid foundation, right? But a foundation does not a house make. There's more aspects to it which just the whole. We have to build upon that foundation. Scripture is the foundation in our life, and we have to build upon it. So here's the question. What else are you doing to build your mind up? What else are you doing to strengthen your mind? We need to be in in a phase of continually learning. We need to be leaning into continually learning. But one of the traits that I look for in people who are uh, who are, are going to be leaders and people that I want to invest in is that they have to be teachable. They have to have a desire to learn and to grow. I don't know if you've ever worked with someone who is not teachable, but you can only go so far with that. One of the best ways I see of learning and growing. What are you reading? reading? See, the more you read, the more you build wisdom up in your lives. And I'll be honest with you, I don't trust a leader who doesn't read. Period. I don't trust a leader who doesn't read. Because that tells me that they are closed to new ideas. They're closed to new thoughts. I don't trust them. Now, we homeschooled our kids. And if you've ever worked with young kids or learning to read, your goal is to get them to read. You just want them to read. And at the beginning, you don't care what they read. And Cindy had a term for some of the stuff that our kids read. It was called twaddle. And basically, it was just a book. They could read it. It, it really didn't help develop them. Some of them were goofy and funny, but they were reading. And that's all we wanted. We wanted just to get them to read. But there's only so much twaddle that you can put into. Bottle is easy. Bottle is fun. Bottle doesn't grow you. Doesn't develop your mind. It doesn't make you think. Bottle is like eating junk food, right? I like junk food. I enjoy junk food. I like cookies. I like ice cream. I like like uh, cheese curls. I like those things. And left to my own wits, I would eat a whole package. In one sitting, maybe at the exact same time. But I know that when I do that, I don't feel good afterwards, right? You know, you ever have one of those days where you just kind of like go junk food full, one hundred percent, boom, here we go, bag of chips, here I come, you know, right, right? And then what happens about an hour afterwards? See, that's what happens. When we just put junk in our mind. Look, I, I, I enjoy reading fiction. I read fiction every now and then. I read fun books every now and then. Stuff that I'm not looking to develop my mind. But I also read stuff that's going kind to of stretch me. So what are you reading that stretches your mind? What are you reading that helps stretch your understanding of God, your understanding of people? We're going on vacation. And I I read a lot, okay, so we're going on vacation. So we went to Barnes & Noble before we left, and I was going to find books. I'm going to take a couple books with me to read while we're in Brooklyn. And I had a goal. I wanted two books. I wanted a book that was going to stretch my mind, and I want a book that was just stupid fun that I could read on the beach, okay? And so I found there's um, there's this spy, silly spy series that I'm into right now. MI6 agents who are uh, disgraced and they're kind of put off to the side and they're old guys that never get anything to do and, you know, of course, sudden things happen. So that, that was the fun one. That was easy. But I needed to find something that was stretching. So I found this book. It just came out, looked weird, and I knew it was going to upset me one way or another as I read it. And it was called, um, I can't remember what it was called. But the thesis behind it—it's probably better. I don't remember what it's called because I don't want to tell folks from here. The thesis behind it was that there are things in the way we think and act that draw us to people. We create communities and groups, and how we interact with those groups who we are a part of, and how we interact with groups who we are not a part of. Okay, this sounds. Yeah, well, it had to do a lot with what we've been experiencing over the last few years. And it wasn't necessarily written from a perspective that I'm like on board with. I knew this thing was going to challenge me. It was going to get me to think. It might even tick me off. And it did. I couldn't put the book down. I couldn't put it down because it got me thinking. And then when I start thinking, I drive my wife insane. So we're on vacation. And I just walk up to her, and I go, do you know? And so she got to read the book with me without actually reading the book. It got, me. it got me thinking about the church. It got me thinking about our community. It got me thinking about a lot of stuff. It stretched my mind. By the way, I never opened this book. Whole vacation, I never opened this book. So what are you reading that stretches your mind? Who are you learning from? Is it just me? Or are there other people who are imparting knowledge of Scripture or other knowledge in your mind? Who are your other teachers? Are you reading just from today or are you reading things from the past? John sent me an article the other day from uh, uh, Catherine Booth. Is that it? Yeah. She founded the Salvation Army. I've not read a lot of Catherine Booth in my life. It was a really fascinating article. He goes, read this. He goes, this has been intriguing me lately. Let's get together and talk about it. Let me know what you think. And I read it, and I didn't agree with everything in it, but him and I had this really robust discussion about it afterwards. Someone that wrote something 150 plus years ago. There's stuff that's old that's fascinating maybe we need to reconsider. Are you listening to anything that's challenging your views? That's one thing we don't do anymore. We don't listen to things that challenge our views. We find the things that agree with our views, and we invest heavily in those. But we never listen to the other side, because the other side, what are you doing that's challenging your views? Look, one of the criticisms of homeschoolers is diversity that they they they're not diverse. They're not they're not they're not exposed to other kids. They're not exposed to other activities. They live in like a bubble, and, and that's what our world has become. Look, social media and and everything have, have been, are run by these algorithms that just give you the stuff you like. It, it'd be like you know. Sitting at work and having a candy bar dropped on your desk every two minutes. That's what that is. It's only the stuff that you want to hear, the stuff that you like. And it reinforces it and reinforces it and sometimes takes you down rabbit holes that you didn't even know you were going, but it's reinforcing that same idea. This is Pat lost dog. In our own lives. We're not getting a diversity of opinion. We're just getting people who agree with us. But what if we're wrong? See, to build our minds, we need to challenge them. We need to stretch them. I've been told by people that when you exercise, the idea behind it is to stretch your muscle slightly beyond where you're comfortable. And as you go slightly beyond that, it, it might take you to a place of Discomfort, but it stretches the muscle and does other things that I'm not even going to pretend I understand. It strengthens it. Um, go a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. You get a little bit of discomfort with the goal of becoming stronger in the end. Your mind's exact same guys. you have to go to a place sometimes of a little discomfort to get you thinking. I want to conclude with one final observation. We've talked a lot about strengthening your mind with Scripture and with learning, but what's interesting is that what I've observed for many people, they seem to be focused on one or the other of the two, but not the two at the same time. There are many people who are focused solely on learning. They read, they listen to podcasts, they watch the news, they dig into more stuff, but they never seem to have time for the work. full understanding of all of these matters around them and they're ready to argue and, and debate with you but they just don't have much time for the word. Oh, they may know a bit of it here and there. They may have picked up a couple verses that help you know, underscore what their beliefs are. They don't read their Bible regularly. They definitely don't read it. What's interesting is that many times they tend to lack. Paul says something really interesting in Romans chapter 12. In verse 2, he says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You're called to test the things we learn in light of God's will. One of the ways that Christians get taken off the path is that many times people around us have figured out that if we can package something in a spiritually-sounding package, if it sounds kind of Christian-esque, then we're ready to go down that path. Twenty-odd years ago when The Matrix came out, I remember there were so many little spiritual elements in it, right? Right? Like the name of the boat or the name of the ship or whatever the thing was that they were floating in was marked something or another. And if you looked in the Bible under that verse and chapter, it had some other thing, and it just kinda had all of this like Christianese things in it. Guys, I got news for you. The Matrix is not like, you know, something to base your life off of. But it's got all this cool Christian stuff in the background. Yeah. They did it to sell tickets to a certain group, okay? And you're that group. But if you don't know Scripture and you just see these little popcorn things floating around here and there, ooh, that kind of sounds Christian, huh? See, that's the danger. When the Word of God is a part of our lives, though, when it saturates every aspect of our lives, our minds get transformed, then we're able to discern. What is God's will? What is of God? What is not of God? What is good? And what is fluff? Guys, there's an awful lot of fluff out there right now. And so, for many of us, we just like throw ourselves in learning, 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 and do very little scripture, and we build a house on sand. And The first time something stumbles, it collapses. also interesting is the opposite there are many people who are just fixated on the word only they can quote entire books of scripture to you out of memory they know this thing in and out but if we don't take the word outside we don't apply it to other areas of our life we don't grow in other places then what happens is the Word of God becomes one of two things. It becomes academic. I love having academic discussions about the Bible. I really do. I love it. But you know what? It doesn't change the world. It just gets me excited. You know, you want to have a long discussion on the fililoquy, if it's important, if it's not, if maybe the Eastern Church had it right, the Western Church had a wrong it wrong, vice versa, and how that affected aspects of theology. I'm in. Let's go. Let's do it. Alright? But I'm in. But if I live on that only, the rest of you are going to look at me like an egghead and say, yeah, no. Or we become so spiritualized that the word becomes something that's kind of at a distance. It becomes this holy book that we honor reverence to but it becomes so spiritualized that it has little or no effect. The Paul said, the word of God is living. as it well. It's supposed to bring transformation to our lives. For that to happen, we need to be both students of the world, of the word, continual learners as well. How do we do that? these steps. First, get yourself a one-year Bible. That's your assignment this week. Get yourself a one-year Bible reading program. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Do not download a one-year Bible I could listen to. All right. We get distracted oh so easily and we learn how to multitask. All right? If you struggle with reading, then listen to it. Okay, no, I get that. I get, I, have a, I get that. There are people who struggle with reading and they can't do it. Go for it. But if you do that, lock yourself in a room and turn off all distractions. Do not be on your phone. Do not be on your computer. Do not be watching TV while the Word of God is speaking in the background. Yes, I know we can be affected by subconscious yada, 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 but you know what? Take the time. Six chapters takes me 15 minutes, guys. I may be a quick reader, but Bible chapters aren't that long, except for one They're not that long. All right? 15, 30 minutes. That's how it should take you. That's it. I'm not telling you to like do in-depth studies. Just read it. Second, I've heard this story that if you want to get in shape, if you want to exercise, the best way of actually accomplishing it is to do it with a friend. I don't have any friends, so I've never exercised. But I've heard that that works. Same as with Scripture. Okay? Find someone who's reading the same thing you do, and you know what? Talk to them about it. The Shema in, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy, um, I don't remember the chapter off the top of my head, but all Jews were required to memorize this. Memorize it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Take these, these laws, write them on your hearts, put them on your door frames, talk about them as you go down the road reason reason talk about them as you go down the road is if I'm having a conversation, if I go, "Hey, you're in the one-year Bible with me. Did you read this thing this morning? What did, that was weird. That was weird. Noah's kids did what? I didn't know that. That was weird. What do you think that? Was? Now some of you are going, "Wait, Noah's kids did something. I didn't see that in the movie." Find someone to do it with. Talk to them about it. As you read your scripture, talk to them. Third, don't skip the hard parts. There's stuff in this book that makes absolutely no sense. Okay? There are parables of Jesus that at first reading you're going to go, what did he just say? What? Don't skip those. The good stuff is there, but you got to dig you got to dig into it. Those are the ones that maybe you step back and go, okay, I don't understand that at all. That made no sense to me. But there are smarter people in this world than I am. Maybe they understood. We live in a time and in a society where there are so many Bible resources out there, it would make your brain melt. If we put a bookshelf on every inch of this building and the building next door and filled it with all the Bible resources that are out there, we wouldn't be able to fill it. Or, 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 I mean, we wouldn't have enough space. Emily uh, got her master's at Wheaton, and one of the programs is in biblical exegesis, and she took me into her into the area of Wheaton where the programs are at. She took me into this room, and it was this room packed with commentaries of the Bible. With commentaries. There were hundreds of them in there. you not know what a commentary is, that's the stuff you go into to get deeper. I have a handful on my bookshelves downstairs. There's hundreds? There's so many resources out there. If you don't know where to start, just come and see me. I can get you on a path. Or I'll lend you stuff from my own library. Okay? But don't Run from the hard stuff. Dig into the hard stuff. Study it. Ponder it. Talk about it. Fourth, from there, and this is probably the most important thing I can ever tell you be curious. Don't just do and think like everyone around you. Be curious. Ask questions. Read. Learn. Be willing to be challenged. And most importantly, Be willing to be wrong. Be willing to be wrong. 17 years ago, in the vineyard, we were only pastoring two, three years at that point, all of a sudden the topic of women in ministry came up. The vineyard had never taken a position on it. It had always been a local church issue. It had already been seen that there were some women leaders starting to rise up in, in the denomination. And the question was, what do we do with those leaders? Can a woman be ordained? Most of us had peace with that. Can they be a pastor? Can they be an area leader or a regional leader? Could they be the national leader? were the question. So our regional overseer came to each one of the churches and said, I want a position paper on what's your thoughts on all of this. And we're like three years into pastoring, and I'm like, you want a what? On a what? I know what I've heard. I know what I've been taught. And I, to be honest, was leaning probably at that time towards the I know Jeff was. He was on our board at the time. Him and I used to get together and talk about this and wrestle with this because we thought it was an important issue. What do we do? Scripture says this, but does it really say this? And what does it say in a larger context? We wrestled with it, we started reading, we started studying it, we talked to other people, and I came to the end of this probably one year time, and I came to the conclusion that I was wrong, that I misunderstood, and probably didn't have some of the greatest mentors in the time. I changed my mind. You changed your mind, too. So many of us are so afraid of being wrong. Sometimes being wrong is free. And we can say, you know what? I thought I knew something, but maybe I didn't. Maybe the Lord wants to change my mind. Finally, oh fifth, find a mentor. Find someone who's done this a little longer than you, who has maybe a little smarter than you, and just say, can you speak into my life? Can you tell me what I should be looking at or what I shouldn't? That, that question about women in leadership I called a friend of mine who had been pastoring for decades, who was a scholar, and I said, what do you think about this? Because, you know, I read this thing in First Corinthians, and I think I got it all figured out in 1 Timothy. And he looked at me and he goes, Joe, if you were a drop dead today, who do you want taking over the church? I don't know. Maybe Cindy he goes. Yeah. Then you need to rethink all of your theology. That's what a mentor will do to you. It will challenge you. They might not tell you what to do. They'll challenge you. Finally, this is the most important. Allow the Holy Spirit to change you. We have a belief in this church. That when we get close to the presence of God, when we get close to Jesus, when we allow the Holy Spirit into our lives, that He will transform us into the person that we were designed destined to be. That sounds so cool, but to get there, it means you have to let the person you currently are. And there are so many people who do not want the Holy Spirit to change them. They are so comfortable. In what they're doing, they are in that rut and they are good with it. Allow the Holy Spirit to change to transform your mind. Because when we do that, that's when our mind becomes I tell people this all the time. The reason I'm in the vineyard is because I can engage in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I didn't have to check my mind. Never been in a Pentecostal church. Company. I'm going to explain what that means later. Mind is important. needs to be strong. When we do all of this, our minds get strengthened. The peace of God comes us. Let's stand and pray. Holy Spirit, we just Invite your presence here right now. You say, come, Lord Jesus, come into this place. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Father God, we invite you into this place. Lord, I have that verse out of Romans just running through my mind. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of so, Lord, we just pray for that right now. We pray that you begin to renew our minds. Lord, each one of us are on a different journey in that. Each one of us are in a different place. And Lord, I know that we will never know everything in this world. All knowledge won't be complete until you come back. Lord, I pray right now, Father, allow us to be a people with strong minds. Lord, begin to bring transformation to our minds. Lord, give us a hunger for your word. Lord, give us a hunger to be curious give us a hunger to learn or begin to transform us. If you go through the Old Testament, especially through the book of Exodus, you see how uh, Moses and God deal with the Egyptians. You see a phrase that keeps coming up
1: over and over and over
0: and over again, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That in the midst of everything that's happening around Pharaoh, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh refuses to change his mind. There's so many of us who find ourselves in that exact same place. Our heart gets hardened, and our mind gets locked and we refuse. We know it. And so, as we open for ministry time right now, I just, I really feel like the Lord right now wants to do two things He wants to soften hearts and He wants to transform hearts. And over this past two years, it has been so easy to find ourselves with hard hearts. It doesn't matter what the issue is. So easy to find ourselves regardless. when our hearts are hard, when our minds are are, are locked. The Lord can't do a whole lot. Of us. So as we close today, I just want to invite you: if, if you're dealing with that, if you just sense that, if the Lord is is convicting you of that, I just want to invite you up right now. We'd like to pray for you. if You're dealing with something else as well. I mean, there's there's I know there's health issues going through this church. There are people struggling. With other issues as well. I just want to invite you to feel free to come up. We want to pray for you. We believe that the Holy Spirit is present. He wants to bring transformation. So Lord God, we just invite. Run away. I'm up in new prayer. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you, may He guide you in the wilderness, may He protect you in the storm. May He bring you home rejoicing at the wonders that He has shown you, may He bring you home rejoicing